When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience, made by teens for teens. There's a lot on our minds, and talking about it helps. On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 94, My Clingy Teen Hates Going to School. How do I help? I know we talk a lot about anxiety, but I feel like it's everywhere. I feel like sometimes even I have it as we're re-emerging back to our old ways. Um, and I find myself not wanting to leave my home sometimes, you know, because I've become so used to it. And you always say, Lisa, that I'm such an extrovert. So if I am having trouble dealing with that, I can't imagine um, how everyone else is doing and coping. But no, it's true. You know, and I think sometimes if you read the headlines, you're like, I think I just want to go pull the covers over my head, yeah. right? And and stay home today. Totally. And, and I, I have a lot of empathy for that perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't want to separate from my home, but... Some people don't want to separate from their parents. And it's interesting. We got this letter about a teen who might be suffering from separation anxiety. I want to get you to weigh in on this. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa, my 15-year-old daughter has separation anxiety. She loves being with me and her mom and hates going to school. I work from home, and so she is constantly asking to be homeschooled. But my sense is that would only make the situation worse. While she does get herself to school each day, she still struggles to be away from us on the evenings and weekends. Last weekend, we were out running errands, and the lot at our dry cleaners was full. I gave her the ticket and some cash and asked her to run in to pick up our dry cleaning while I waited in the car. She immediately got shaky and scared and said she couldn't do it. I spotted an opening in the lot, so we were able to go in together. But I started to feel really worried about how tightly she clings to us and what that will mean for her going forward. Please help. You know, I understand separation anxiety in like a three-year-old going to preschool, but is that normal for a 15-year-old? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, You don't see it so often in 15-year-olds, but I will tell you post-pandemic, we're seeing it a lot more often than we used to. And so this, I think, is probably a letter that's going to resonate with a lot of parents of tweens and teens where their kid is just very uneasy being away from them and operating independently. And I'm not entirely surprised we're seeing more of this when kids were so close to home for so long. I mean, I I was talking about how like, I don't like leaving my home. And I, I, so I feel this parent and this teen's pain 
because I think we've created this cozy environment at home where you feel safe and still able to function. But what really leads to this sort of situation? Well, it's interesting, Rena. Like, let's imagine you and I were having this conversation in 2019, mm-hmm. and we didn't have, you know, the lockdown and the, you know, very, very close to home experience. And like you say, discovering you don't really have to leave your home all that yeah. much to do a lot of the things you want to do, right? Exactly. That there's real delight in realizing you can pretty much operate in elastic waist pants a lot more than you thought you could, right? <laughs> it's true. So the way we have thought about separation anxiety, and I will say often in light of thinking about younger kids, you know, sort of three and up or, you know, yeah, kind of early preschool, early elementary school kids, is that it can be accounted for by, you know, very high levels of anxiety overall where a kid only feels safe in the parent's presence. The other explanation that has been useful to me clinically and that I want parents to have, again, especially when we're thinking about younger kids, is that sometimes a child who is struggling to separate from their parents is mad about something. Oh, really? Yeah. What makes you say that? Well, it's interesting because sometimes they're mad because a new baby has come into the family or sometimes they're mad because the parent has gone back to work and is not as available as the parent used to be. Mm. Or sometimes they're mad because, you know, they had to move homes and they didn't want to leave the old home. And through an unconscious process, sometimes kids will cling to their parents as a way to deal with their angry feelings. And here's how it works. Part of it is that with little kids, they worry that their angry feelings are dangerous, that their angry feelings could really hurt somebody. This is something little kids worry about. And so that child who may be unconsciously quite angry for the parent for having another baby Mm. may worry that their anger has harmed the parent or could harm the parent. And so how the child reassures themselves is they don't let the parent out of their sight. So that's one element. And again, we're talking little kids. This is not the dynamic for teenagers, but I do want to lay it out just so people have a good, you know, kind of developmental landscape of what separation anxiety can be about. Interestingly, another dynamic that can be at play simultaneously is that sometimes kids, and this is also true of teenagers, let us know what they're feeling by making us have that feeling. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And so When I have worked clinically with a family, let's say, of a six-year-old who has separation anxiety, what will often happen in my office is they will describe what's happening. You know, we try to take him to school and he clings to our leg. We try to, you know, go out on a date and he is, you know, so upset that he's almost vomiting. Like, I mean, that they'll describe this kid who is just really, really suffering, really, really Mm -hmm. suffering. And We'll talk about the suffering, and then sometimes I will say, and I have you have to go on instinct here. I'll say, is there a part of you that's also finding this a little like frustrating for you? And the parent will often be like, yes, like this is so hard. Like I'm feeling really annoyed with him, but it's also hard because he's in so much pain. I don't want to get annoyed with him, but yes, I would like to be able to go on a date, and yes, I would like to be able to, you know, do drop off at school without, you know, all of that. Um, intense upset feeling. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that in separation anxiety, especially for little kids, feeling mad about something, feeling frustrated about something can be an element, opens up a path for intervention. And so 
I just want folks to have on their you know, menu of things to do if they're dealing with separation anxiety at any age. One option is to say to the kid, you know, I see you're super anxious about going into your classroom or staying with a babysitter. Sometimes kids also feel mad about, you know, not being included in the parents' evening. Do you think that might be something that's happening here? Just putting it on the table. So not accusing the kid of anger, not accusing the kid of trying to be, you know, manipulative or diabolical. Yeah. But I want that as an opportunity that parents have, if they're like, I can't get to the bottom of this, knowing that side by side with what is really truly a lot of anxiety, there can also be some real frustration in that child that's being expressed in this sort of real clinginess Mm -hmm. is a useful thing to have as a way to understand some forms of this. Wow. So this concept of maybe the teen saying that I want to be homeschooled. What do you think of that? Well, so my hunch is, so, okay, so now we're back to 2022, right? We're having Mm -hmm. the conversation now. I would not ascribe this to an unconscious anger that's being expressed in the form of a separation anxiety. I would really, in most likelihoods, you know, and especially with an adolescent, ascribe this to the kid missed out on all of that practice of moving further and further away from home that normally would have happened. I mean, if this is a 15-year-old, you know, what we can picture is, you know, the pandemic probably started around when she was 12, mm-hmm. right, which is mm-hmm. when kids are just branching out. And so just at that moment when she would have practiced all of that independence, she was grounded. And so I think that for her, I probably wouldn't say, like, are you also mad? <laughs> is that what's right, happening here? Exactly. I really think that, you know, post-pandemic especially, as a clinician, I'm always going to favor the straight-up anxiety explanation. Um, Regardless of pandemic or no pandemic. Or actually, especially because of the pandemic. Just because kids really lost the opportunity to practice independence. And so now they're really freaked out by independence. Hmm. Lisa, I'm going to pause and take a quick break, but on the other side of this break, I want to ask you, how do you deal with these kids who have lost that those years of independence? How do we circle back and make things better? You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today, so the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cash back credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cash back? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cash back credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. 
I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the free application for student aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today and you'll get a response within one to three days? Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're talking about separation anxiety. And we were sort of talking about the situation about a dad uh, dropping their daughter off to try to get some dry cleaning and the daughter freaking out, leaving the car. You said that we have lost some years for some of these teens where they would be building independence. What do you do now to get that back? Is it too late? It's not too late. And so the dad's instincts in the letter are spot on where he's like, she's trying to be homeschooled. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this yeah. is not outside the realm of possibility, but we're pretty sure that won't help. The dad is right. That one of the things, actually the thing we want to be focusing on here as we help kids get back into the world and as we help kids who are feeling really anxious about getting back into the world, the cardinal rule, the thing we will always want to hold at like front and center is avoidance feeds anxiety. Mm, if we one. avoid something, we get more anxious about it. Okay. So she wants to avoid school and the dad's like, you're going to school. And that is right because here's the thing. If she's feeling scared about school and her anxiety is spiking, which it sounds like she is, scared about leaving home to go to school. Yeah. If the parent says, okay, never mind. You don't have to go. What's going to happen is her anxiety is going to just ease immediately. She will feel so much better. And so what you just have set up is a reinforcement process where she feels anxious about school. She's told she doesn't have to go. And then she feels better. So the next time she feels anxious about school, she's going to be like, I know the solution. Don't make me go. That will help me feel better. Mm -hmm. And so it entrenches itself as a solution for the anxiety. I want to go back, Lisa, to this dry cleaning situation. First off, I think this dad is awesome. One for writing in about this letter and the instincts of the dad. It was just so great. But in that dry cleaning situation where he handed her the ticket and she started shaking and didn't want to go in by herself to get the dry cleaning... What do you think you should have done in that moment? Oh, okay. So the really good thing about anxiety treatment, as we do it in our offices and practices, is that it's pretty straightforward. So I have no problem recommending kind of a DIY approach for parents. <laughs> like there's the, what we do in our offices, you can do at home. So in situations like this, what we would do is what we call graduated exposure, which is essentially baby steps. Which is, okay, so maybe on this day, the kid is not, like, is so overwhelmed by anxiety that she really cannot run in and grab the dry cleaning on her own. Like, that just looks like that is outside the realm of possibility. But what we would want him to do, it sounds like he found a parking space. What we would want him to do is to have some version of her trying to do the things she's scared of doing. And so it may be that he says, okay, let's do this. You come with me into the dry cleaner, but I'm going to ask you to go up to the counter hmm. and talk to the person and get our dry cleaning and, you know, pay and bring me back the change. So I will stand in the dry cleaning with you, but you are the one who needs to go up to the counter to do it. So something like that 
would be what we would want to have happen. Again, on that principle arena, avoidance feeds anxiety, avoidance feeds anxiety. And so some level of engagement with what is being asked of her is really, really important to do. Mm. Wow. I never thought that that you can meet them halfway or, or do something slowly that they get used to it. Do you find, though, when you do these little baby steps, what stops them from moving forward? Like maybe they can take that baby step, but then they can't take the second or third one. Well, that's often the case, right? Where the kid's like, no, I can't even talk to the person. Right. Like, no, right. like I cannot do it. And that may be true. I mean, like you can't make 15-year-olds do anything. Like, I mean, like, you know, you, they, they are big. They have, you know, like you can't make them do stuff. And so then I think the parent might say, all right, then you need to stand next to me while I do it. And you need to hear me do it. And then next week, you're coming with me to the dry cleaner and you're going to do it. But between this week and next week, we're going to help you manage your anxiety. And, and I think that one of the keys when we teach graduated exposure in therapy is we don't just throw people in. We also give them a lot of practice with bringing their anxiety back under control. And breathing is a really key thing that can do a lot of power on that, that can actually help reduce anxiety a lot, that controlled breathing we know um, hacks into the system that um, turns off the anxiety alarm. And so what I would do as a parent in this situation, if the kid's like, no, I cannot do that, is I'd say, okay, next week we're doing it. Um, but between now and next week, every night, we're going to practice controlled breathing. And you're going to practice bringing your anxiety down with breathing hmm. so that when we do go in next week to pick up the dry cleaning, if you're starting to feel too anxious, you can use your breathing to get that back under control. And the breathing really helps? It really helps. It really helps vastly more than I think a lot of us expect. And what we think is happening in that moment is that the nerves on your lungs, we have nerves that monitor our breathing on our lungs, mm -hmm. are noticing that we're breathing deeply and slowly. Mm -hmm. And they take that as um, an indication that we're safe and they send that messaging to the brain. So it's a very powerful way to bring anxiety down. And so it's also a nice way of kind of meeting kids halfway of saying, look, I'm not going to just throw you in yeah. and hope you survive. Like, I'm going to teach you strategies that if your anxiety becomes quite intense, you can get it under control so that you can ask for our dry cleaning and offer the money and give it a shot. Mm. You know, the concept of breathing, can you walk us through what that's like? I think it's helpful for adults or kids. Like, what's a basic technique? So the one I use when I feel too anxious, I call it square breathing. Lots of people call it box breathing, but it's the same idea, which is I breathe in slowly on a count of three. I hold it for a count of three. I breathe out slowly for a count of three, and then I wait for a count of three. So three, so it's three, just three. Three, 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 three. And so what's good is while you're counting and breathing, you kind of can't think about anything else. So whatever you were feeling anxious about, you can't continue to like focus on it. Like the breathing and the counting takes all your concentration. And the other thing I do is I really try to picture these nerves on my lungs that notice how we're breathing. I try to picture them like getting the new information, like everything's okay. We're breathing deeply and slowly. We only do that when we're safe and sending that up to the brain. And it's really powerful as a way to get anxiety back in its box. And so if you think through, like, so think through with this girl, like, 
what we might ultimately, if we tried to lay out the whole graduated exposure program, so maybe the first weekend dad goes in with her and she has to stand next to him while he puts in the order for the dry cleaning. The next weekend they go in together. He's like, I will be in there, but you're the one going up to the counter. Maybe the next weekend, you know, they walk to the dry cleaner. He stands outside the store (laughs) and she goes up to the counter. Maybe the next weekend he stays in the car. So they lay it out, but breathing all the way breathing all the way so that it becomes bearable. Oh, I love that breathing exercise. I'm going to completely use that because I just think that we all are under certain levels of stress. Some of us are better at dealing with it. Others aren't. But this is such a great thing to teach your children. I I love that. When a kid is panicking about something, when do you put your foot on the gas pedal and when do you put your foot on the brake? It's a good question in terms of like, Really pushing them to do something right. versus backing off. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you can't make a panicking kid do something. I mean, it just, you know, it's just, it's, even if your instinct is a parent, and which is probably right, is like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not even making them go into the dry cleaner, right? Like, right. I mean, my goodness. But I have a lot of empathy. Like, if a kid is really, really having, you know, an extreme anxiety response, which I, it sounds to me like this girl is. I think the only humane and decent thing in that moment is to be like, it's okay, you know, abort this mission. I'll run in and get the dry cleaning, but we're going to get home and we're going to get out a piece of paper and we're going to lay out a plan for how you can be the kid who can go in there and get the dry cleaning. Like, I think, I don't think you have to say like, never mind, but I do think it's not worth it. But I'll tell you, you know, there's, there are kids who have been terrified to go back to school and, you know, where parents haven't required them to go back to school or they were out of school for a long time. And, you know, so when the parent's like, you got to go to school and the kid's like, ah, I'm not doing it. What I will say to the parent is see if they can get in the car and just drive to school with you, Mm. you know, and that maybe you'll make a decision once you get to school about whether they go in. Or maybe you'll work with the school where the kid goes in and is there for first period, and then you check in to see if they need to come home after first period. Or the kid stays in the office for a big chunk of the day. But what we want to do is honor that when kids say they cannot do something, they really may be telling us the truth. We want to give them tons of strategies for managing anxiety, but we also want to continue to say, okay, but what could you do? What incredibly small increment of what needs to be done here could you do? Because again, avoidance feeds anxiety, avoidance feeds anxiety. It is one of the, you know, central tenets of how we understand anxiety in psychology. What do you, for people who don't understand anxiety or have never really had a panic attack or or, or felt that extreme feeling, what are the signs that parents should look for? You know, In some ways, it looks different in every kid. Like some kids will feel really queasy or some kids will get really irritable or get really weepy. But there are also some like great universals of anxiety. Anxiety is a very ancient emotion. You know, in some ways, like the anxiety response that we have, our pets have too. You know, I mean, there's a very kind of Mm -hmm. universal quality to anxiety. And so what is almost always present is that heart rate accelerates, breathing gets quick and shallow. Um, people are often not aware of this, but pupils dilate, digestion stops. You know, that there's a very um, intense biological reaction that is um, anxiety. And what we attach this to is the ancient fight or flight system, you know, mm-hmm. that our body is getting ready to either um, run from something or attack something. And so 
this is the response we have in the face of a threat. Mm. Um, and what's happening for this poor child is that the dry cleaner feels like a threat. And so her alarm is ringing as though it is a very dangerous place and her instincts are telling her to stay away. You know, it sounds, might sound crazy to people like, but you're just going into the dry cleaner. How do you explain why this can cause so much anxiety in someone? Well, one thing that happens, and this is, again, why we have to work against avoidance, is their mind will start to imagine the dry cleaner to be a vastly scarier place than it really oh, is. Oh, interesting. Right? So this this sweet child may be thinking, like, I'm going to go in, and they're going to see that I'm a little shaky, and then they're going to be mean to me. And then um, I'm not going to be able to find the ticket, even though my dad gave it to me 10 seconds ago. So they will, in this sort of anxious worry, catastrophize in their minds. They'll start to picture the situation as, you know, cruel, you know, like the meanest dry cleaner in the world, which is also why avoidance feeds anxiety. Because as long as you stay out of that dry cleaner, you get to picture it as the meanest dry cleaner on the planet and <laughs> nothing gets in your in the way of you believing that. Mm. Whereas once that kid can get to that counter and the dry cleaner is perfectly kind and the dry cleaner helps, you know, like helps make change quickly, that also reduces anxiety. So that's the double whammy on avoidance. It both feels good to do it and mm. it never lets you check what you believe to be true, which in anxiety tends to be vastly more harrowing than the reality against what's actually true. Hmm. So Lisa, if you were to give your top three tips for dealing with separation anxiety, and, and as you mentioned, you know we've lost some of that independence opportunity for some of these teens, what's important to keep in mind? I think that the first thing is it's real for the kid, right? I, th mm. I think what you described, you know, where you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> just, just run and get the dry cleaning. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Like, I would have that instinct. You have that instinct. I think a lot of parents would have that instinct. And I think the reality is our kids have been through so much and things do feel truly scary for them. And they haven't had the practice out in the world that they normally would have had. And in place of that practice, they've had a lethal virus circulating in their world. You know, mm -hmm. so I mean, they're scared. They're scared and it's legitimate. And so the first tip would be like empathize. Like don't dismiss it. Don't try to don't get mad at your kid about it. Like even if it's very, very frustrating, like empathize. But then the second tip is don't give in. Mm -hmm. Like don't let the anxiety drive the train. And so then the second tip is start negotiating. <laughs> like, oh, okay. okay, you don't have to go in today, you don't yeah. have to go in alone, but what could you do? And then the third tip, and this is so critical, is to really reassure your kid that anxiety is not a life sentence, that we understand the basics of anxiety so well. We understand that just as the body reacts really strongly and it's hugely uncomfortable, we can also use the body to get that back under control through breathing, or parents might also look up you know, systematic muscle relaxation. There's other techniques that we can do where we get the body back into a calm place. And so our job as the adults in the room is to reassure kids, I get it. You're super anxious now. You've come by it honestly. Here's the good news. This does not have to define you. Mm. That is really good that it's not a lifetime sentence because it must feel like a lifetime sentence that you can't get out of when you're in the middle of it. I think it does. And I think especially if you're a teenager and 
the moment you're in feels like it's going to extend forever in the future, right? That's in some ways the nature of being a teenager. Uh And then, Rena, you know, if you do the math sometimes, like this kid, so let's say that the pandemic has hit her 12th, 13th, and 14th years. Like, let's say it really kind of covered that time. All right, that's a huge percentage of the amount of time she's has memory of being alive. Right? Right, like, right. Good point. Right. Like we have to give kids some room that of course they're very anxious that, you know, this has taken up a big chunk of their lives. But the key thing going forward is to not continue to accommodate to the anxiety if the thing they're scared of isn't as dangerous as they think it is. Ah, uh, because they're able to confront it, even if it's taking baby steps to confront it. Baby steps all the way. Mm. That's so good. And a little bit of empathy goes a long way because you never know what other families are going through. You know, whether you're at the dry cleaner and you're just trying to pick up your clothes quickly. Because I could see myself, you know, if somebody's taking a long time trying to, you just don't know what that kid is going through, right? I I, I feel that. I really feel that. Um, yeah. So what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? One of the big resets we need to do in the wake of the pandemic is to... Get used to the idea that anxiety actually is part of life, um, is a normal and healthy function. We feel anxious whenever we're faced with a threat. And so that some anxiety is fine. In fact, it's good. Like um, when I'm taking care of teenagers, you know, and they tell me they've showed up at a wild party and they feel really anxious because the party's really wild. I'm like, good, good. You should be anxious, (laughs) you know, at a wild party. Um, To get used to the idea that anxiety is not all bad. We're not trying to banish all of it. To not be anxious about anxiety for its own sake, but to then get really clear about when anxiety is irrational and then to use exposure, as we call it, or baby steps, to keep irrational anxiety from running the show. And the definition of irrational anxiety, Rena, it's like one of my favorite, clearest, most simple definitions in all of psychology. It's when we overestimate the threat we're facing and we underestimate our ability to manage it. Wow. Always such good details and and great psychology terms that I didn't even know existed. Uh, So grateful to you, Lisa. A lot to unpack here, but thank you so much for walking us through and helping us understand separation anxiety and anxiety in general. Well, next week with Thanksgiving around the corner, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, we wanted to talk to you about how do you deal with difficult relatives around the holidays. I look forward to that one, Lisa. Yeah. I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.